like listening to a piano player tickling a few last chords on the ivories in the wee hours of the morning when the last patrons have left the nightclub and the waiters are stacking the chairs on the tables. Those are words from director Jean-Luc Godard on how he feels watching John Cassavetes' 1976 film, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Seeing Faces in Movies is a podcast where each month I focus on the works of a different director or cinematographer. And each week I invite a guest on to discuss a film and the artist's filmography. Today we're talking The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. So a quick synopsis of the film is, A proud strip club owner is forced to come to terms with himself as a man when his gambling addiction gets him in hot water with the mob, who offer him only one alternative. The film stars Ben Gazzara as Cosmo Vitelli, Timothy Carey as Flo, Seymour Cassell as Mort, and Azizi Johari as Rachel. It's written by John Cassavetes, cinematography by Mitch Bright and Al Rubin, directed by John Cassavetes, edited by Tom Cornwell, and music by Bo Harwood. So today my guest is Vanya Garraway, and she is a programmer in the city of Toronto we both live in. Namely, you have a series called Paid and Sweat at the Review Cinema in Toronto. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. I'm just, I'm really excited to talk to you because I I just know how you feel about cinema in general and how we both feel and how, you know, we're both from the same city too. And I feel like some of those things like play into like how we think, you know, about yeah. films too, you know, just where we live and who we are and our like identity. So I'm really happy to talk to you. Exactly that. It's not often you get to meet other Black women in the city who are also into film, despite the fact that I'm sure there are a lot. It's just we're not a scene. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to tell me a bit about the series that you run and how you got into cinema and specifically the films of John Cassavetes. Okay, so yeah, films just in general. Well, if we go back, my, my, my mom was a huge movie fan and she used to she loved going to the cinema my dad loved movies too but as soon as we were able to get a vcr he bought a vcr and he would take mm-hmm. us to the video store every week so that's like the very beginnings um but my mom loved to be in the cinema so i think i got that part of it from her and then you know living in toronto like my entire life i started volunteering for the film festival when i was 18 so i've been going to the festival like more than half my life. Um, <laughs> and then I started working for the festival and I were, I actually was staff at the festival seasonally for like more than a decade. So I just, that was like kind of my beginnings, but also I, I used to work in advertising where I used to book ads uh, for films too. When I was mm-hmm. like a teenager, I became an executive assistant <laughs> like at oh, wow. like 19, 20 at a advertising agency that had like huge clients, like Warner's mm-hmm. and, paramount and all that so i worked in film in like different ways for a really long time i used to also be a first ad on a web series called out with dad so i thought Mm -hmm. i wanted to make movies and then my program you know i was a huge fan of all the programs happening in the city i've all you know i thought i never knew that i would become a programmer but it seems it actually makes a lot of sense kind of the you know i kind of transitioned from wanting to make films to talk about them or write about them. I also write some mm-hmm. articles for a magazine called That Shelf. Then, you know, I was a huge fan of this program that we're both fans of, Neon Dream Cinema Club. Yeah. Um, and uh, I ended up working with them a bit uh, during the lockdown, actually, uh, during pandemic. Uh, and I ended up interviewing Bill Duke for Mm -hmm. them for a deep cover he's a huge new noir fan as you are and just noir in general actually like not even just new new noir so um that kind of like got me closer to doing this paint and sweat and then i pitched a lot of different programs the program Mm -hmm. director um i you know uh she put me through my paces (laughs) and it worked it worked uh i pitched her a sports and kind of competition celebration and sweat program and I think it's a good program because people really have a stigma, like stigmatized, like sports cinema as like a genre. Yeah. And really, they're just movies. They're just mm-hmm. movies like any other movie. And they're often actually really about love. But I think a lot of people are shocked about how often they're about love. They're often about love and obsession. And actually, those kind of go hand in hand. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. so, yeah, so I'm really proud of this program. 
you know, I've, it's been over a year now, you know, and I think it's ticking along pretty good. Yeah. I mean, you should be proud. And <laughs> I, I agree. Like, you know, people have that mindset about sports movies, but they are just movies like just movies. And I love boxing movies, but I would never watch boxing ever. Right. But I'll watch. Yeah. I, I want a part of my pitch was I want this is a, a program about sports and competition for cinephiles. So mm-hmm. you want to be in a dark cinema on a Thursday night and you don't mind that the Jays are playing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the same time that you're watching Bull Durham, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're not, you, you don't, you're not at the game. You're watching a movie about games and you're, you know, into, into that. So you don't have to, but I, you know, I used to play sports. I love sports. I, I don't mm-hmm. follow them like I used to, but I love sports in cinema and I, they actually paved the way for a lot of things that we watch mm-hmm. today. So today we're talking about the killing of a Chinese bookie, Cassavetti's yeah. film. Do you recall the first time you watched this of what your kind of initial thoughts were and how they progressed? Well, we'll talk about yeah. how they progressed as we get into it, but your initial thoughts first time you watched it. So my first time watching it, it was like, you would think that I would it would deter me, it would have deterred me because it was a boyfriend, a real film bro mm-hmm. uh, when i was in my <laughs> early 20s who introduced me to he had the criterion he was like yeah. very early at having like a box set and he was loaded uh that's another thing <laughs> he had a lot of privilege um <laughs> and so he had the box set and i hadn't seen any cassavetti's films i had seen cassavetti's as an actor um yep. but i hadn't seen him as anything that he had directed in that kind of film bro way, as we seem like even with Barbie, like kind of bro way, yeah. he like forced me to watch the, this box set while he studied. Like he wanted me to just do study too, you know, it's really annoying. Um, but I watched Kill, Ch- Killing a Chinese Book. He was the first one I watched in that wow. criterion collection. And I was like, oh, this is, this is fucking good. You know, like, okay, yeah. you suck a little bit. Um, <laughs> but then it was also wrapped up with some good things about our relationship yeah. where I was like, you have good taste and you're kind of sexy and, you know, so I can handle yeah. that over here. And then I, I'll watch these movies and um, you can explain them to me, but I already have my own opinion about them. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and I ended up watching the, the entire thing basically by myself and loving him as a director and finding out how great he was there too. That's that's how it started. <laughs> that can be maybe a rough one to start off with. So it's good that he captured your yeah. attention right off the bat. And I guess it depends on who you are and what type of films yeah, you right. like. There's some that, and we'll get into that later, which one you would start with. But uh, that's interesting that this one was and that. I've also had a uh, previous partner who had the box set. And I was like, look at this box set. And I was like, sir. <laughs> I know about Casabetti's. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, <laughs> he lucked out. This this guy, he lucked out because I yeah. actually was like, okay, well, you were wrong. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Sometimes you got to give them that one little win there. <laughs> Before we get into discussing the actual film, I just wanted to read off some interesting facts about it. Um, mm-hmm. So one of them was that David Bowie was often present on the set of filming. Uh, he was a huge Cassavetes fan. They were friends. And I guess he can be seen in shots in the crowd at the Crazy Horse West. I still haven't spotted him and a few times I've watched it, but supposedly he's hiding in the background there. I have to look. I'm going to look for him next time I watch. I know. I did look, but I was like, I don't know where he is. He's probably just <laughs> looking like a regular dude. <laughs> so there's no way of knowing. You're having like Bowie glasses looking, yeah. you know, for Bowie image, but it's he's just like hanging out as like David yeah, Jones. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. David Jones. <laughs> so this story was actually developed by Cassavetes and Martin Scorsese years previously. They were kind of shooting off ideas and had thought of the initial uh, story of a man who owns a strip club who owes a lot of money. And then when Cassavetes wanted to make something outside of what he typically made stuff like inside the home with families. He remembered this story and went from there. Scorsese doesn't get a story credit, but I'm sure he doesn't <laughs> mind. <laughs> I'm sure he's done that with other directors. He's talked. Oh, about. Yeah. I know that he's got stuff from De Palma, where De Palma mm-hmm. was more excited about a beginning, and then he ended up doing it. You know? Yeah, that's how it should be. If you're friends, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 
especially then the way their community then mm-hmm. in the 70s. Exactly. We do know that there are two cuts to this. There's the director's cut, which is the original release, and then it was cut down. The lead actor, Ben Gazzara, hated <laughs> the original cut. And because it was a big flop, Cassavetes cut it down to just under two hours. And the original cut is just over two hours. Uh, and that's the one that was out for years and years. And the original cut was finally released by a criterion. I have seen both, but I usually watch the director's cut. And that's what I watched for this one. I did too. I think you kind of have to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I agree. Yeah. Well, I was going to talk about that in a bit later about the mm-hmm. film and the different cuts. So I'll save it for that. But those are just some interesting facts. There's not too much mm-hmm. on this, but I'm ready to get into the film if you are. Sure. So one of the first things I want to talk about is the the club itself. So it's okay. called Crazy Horse West, which yes. is wild. It's insane to me. <laughs> I agree. I, every time they say it, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. That's it. You know, it, it, I'm jarred every time it comes up in the movie. Anyhow. It's, an, it's an insane name for a club. But then when you see what's happening in that club, you're like, yes, that makes right. sense. Yeah. I'm going to start it off by reading a quick quote from Philip Lopate, who wrote for the Criterion essay of this film. So he says, Cosmos Strip Club, the Crazy Horse West, functions as a vicious flypaper to the, which the film keeps attaching itself, where time dwaddles and dilates in a constant night. Cassavetes insisted these nightclub scenes be shot through gels, which created stylized pools of isolating red or blue light for the owner impresario to walk through. So... The film revolves around this club. We're in and out of this club. Mm. The action itself of the killing and whatnot doesn't happen in this club, but this club is Cosmo and Cosmo is this club. It's his life. Yes. I am surprised that he doesn't live there and maybe he probably does sleep there a lot of the time, but it's his life. It's everything. And we keep coming back to this club. How do you feel about Mm -hmm. the vibe of this club and the energy that goes on in there it's like it's strange because it's like it's his it's like he has to go back there you know Mm -hmm. like you'll have like a like a monster or somebody or like a vampire and they have to get back to you know Mm -hmm. he's like get back to his like coffin or whatever i feel like (laughs) i feel like that's it for him Mm -hmm. every time he kind of has to reset you know he goes back there he makes a call there when he's at height you know i'm sure you want to talk about that but because it comes later in the film, but I feel like it is like his like like heart zone where his soul is and everything, and he it matters so much to him. And I think I saw that Ben Gazzara said that it reminded him of Cassavetes and his art and how he thought of art and his obsession with film is in the same way that Cosmo. I think he probably pulled from that and to mm-hmm. play the part. It's so it's um seedy, uh, it's kind of icky. It yeah. There are familiar things like backstage is familiar when you look at when you watch other films where there's strip joints and that sort of thing. So there's a familiarity. And then there's just like an awkwardness where it seems like time has stood still. <laughs> like you walk into that club and time has stood still. And we're somewhere between like a vaudeville mm-hmm. and a strip joint. You know what I mean? Like a too old vaudeville, like way out of its time that it shouldn't exist anymore. Right? Like it like flashes of like the dirtiest worst parts of vegas you know yeah all all encompassed in this tiny tiny space and it's weird and then you see it in the daytime at one point and it's like a totally different place that mm-hmm. maybe if some of these characters weren't there you know it could be respectable like yeah it could possibly you know it could have something because when rachel comes in yeah uh, when he's with that other kind of breaking in a new dancer, it's one of the most beautiful shots I've actually seen in cinema, in my opinion, because she walks in Oh, like JJ Abrams would like die because there's like, yeah, there's yeah. like lens flare, but they, it's like, <laughs> you'd be like, Oh my God. But then there's like a backlight too. Right. There's an end on her. And she, obviously she has beautiful skin. She walks in. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's just so gorgeous. How, she walks in first. She's just a person. There's light from the outside. You don't see that in the club most of the time where you're seeing like mm-hmm, yeah. actual natural light. And then it the kind of as she gets closer to the, the lens and gets too close to the lens, there's also this beautiful bright light surrounding her. And she kind of sparkles without adding sparkle. It's mm-hmm. that, it's beautiful. Yeah. It is. Um. So the club, 
you know, with her in it and the way he sees, because that's from his, that's his yep. POV and how he sees her. So it's like a combination, like he has a care for her. He has a care for the club. It's almost like it's at its best moment, even though it's a, not a great scene. It's yeah. like what he maybe perceives the club to always be, yep. where we only see it really one way. You know, but he sees it in yeah. all these different ways. I think that's exactly that. Cosmo, deep down, as much as he likes to put this front that he's like this tough, you know, businessman who's you now has his women that he kind of flaunts around and he goes, he has his gambling addiction, whereas him is to him, it's just having fun. But I think deep down, he's an artist because only a person who has a club like this would be an artist because he could just <laughs> have a straightforward strip club. All these women are very talented, could just, and I'm sure that's what they thought they were getting into. <laughs> but then there's something that's keeping them there too, because it's weird. And we have the Mr. Sophistication, who is the guy who's essentially the host of the club. This guy, he kind of looks like a Ron Jeremy type. And yeah. it's just like, he's singing around, cannot sing on key. He's sweating all the time. He's wearing this <laughs> weird makeup and clothing, but there's something where you're like, I cannot look away. It's like, why does he want this? And he, Cosmo has a hand in all these numbers. So it's like, this man's an artist. He has a vision. Mm -hmm. he, like he truly has a vision about what he wants it to be. He doesn't want it just to be tits. You know what I mean? Yep. He not, wants people to like be absorbed. You know, I kept wondering like, what would happen if Cosmo and David Lynch's minds got together? Because yeah. like, what would that club be? Like, oh it would God. be- it, like obviously we we would want to go there, yes. <laughs> but it would, like, every day <laughs> it would also be would we get stuck there? You know what I mean? Would we not? Yeah. Be like it has like it's that's what I mean. A time stops. I feel like you could get mm -hmm. sucked in there. I you know the guy that you're talking about the person that's the performer. I'm like, do you leave? Like you know, yeah. are you ever able to leave? <laughs> do you only can you only exist in the club? Like when you walk, if you try to step out, will you vaporize? You know, like yeah. I feel like he's from a different. He doesn't belong. He doesn't yeah. like kind of fit in. And the, like it's so true what you're saying about the women because the women, yes, as dancers, exotic dancers, I think they're talented, and then they kind of have to play in the. It's mm -hmm. almost like they have to play these parts that they never expected to play, and they're not great at that now um, but they just kind of go along along with it and they're doing all these crazy things because they're like yeah i gotta make a buck but they kind of don't fit together it was kind of like if gordon ramsay goes into to a restaurant and then he's just like oh my god you're a thai restaurant why do you keep making hamburgers you know <laughs> yeah and it's just like and they're not thai hamburgers they're just like he's not like a fusion it's just yeah it's just <laughs> over here you have this and then you know you have red curry and then all of a sudden you know like you're not good at it um yeah. but you keep trying to do it all at the same time because you're trying to give some thing that the people what the people actually want but you're trying mm -hmm. to get service your uh, artistic vision at the same time mm -hmm. and people are giving you pushback it's really interesting that this film flopped because it kind of yeah. has that that vibe you know i think there's a speech by mr sophistication where he's saying to cosmo this is towards the end he's like we got to talk because you know i'm doing all the work and they just take off their tops and they get all the applause but when things go wrong they're booing me and i think that's mm -hmm. essentially cassavetti through that character mm -hmm. of you know this is him trying to make something that he thought would be entertaining. And then he ended up having to cut it to be yeah. more appeasing to a wider audience. So that character is essentially Casavetti. Yeah, I, it's just interesting the way everyone kind of stuck. Some people, one of the women, when she thought that the club was going to go under, she's like, I, I'm only this height. You know, I won't be able to get a job somewhere else. So what's the deal here? Because I don't want to be leaving. But it's the ties and Cosmo kind of making them feel comfortable. I feel he makes a lot of speeches in this. He's always saying long speeches. Sometimes it's like, I have no idea what you're saying. And I'm sure most people don't, but he sounds so confident. And he makes you feel comfortable and like he knows what he's doing. And I think that's why this is also their home. Yeah. But the Cosmo character is just so interesting because he, we start off with he's paying off a long debt. And right after that, he celebrates by getting in debt now to the mob. So how do you feel about the way Cosmo's introduced and Gazara's performance? And do you sympathize kind of with his character? Yeah. Um, I, first, I think that I'll just simply say that I think that his performance is brilliant. I think... Mm -hmm. 
he's a great actor. I think Cassavetti's had in his company like some of the best actors have, that have ever been on screen for sure. And Gazar is one of them. Mm-hmm. I love the way like he looks and yeah behaves. I think that it was like a different time where you could have somebody like that be a leading man, and it mm-hmm. and it not be like this uh, have to be like this really character like performance, but a, just a leading man. And uh, I sympathize i do sympathize with cosmo because i you know i'm an artist you know there's things i want there's like this desire this hunger and so i i get that i I kept thinking throughout the entire movie what would have to change in his life what would be the thing where he could go on a different trajectory to feel comfortable with himself because he's so insecure and yeah you know he's he wants so much and he has like i keep saying he has this vision so it's really sad to see somebody like you just i think he's he's so hungry for that win it's kind of like when you get like a paycheck you haven't been paid for a really long time and then you kind of make mistakes with how you spend because you're just Mm -hmm. like oh finally like i have something and then you realize oh my god i'm already almost out of money um you know because Mm -hmm. you've been so you've been wanting wanting so for so long so when he does that i'm like i know you're gonna ruin this after you've yep. come so far but i understand it i probably wouldn't do it but i definitely understand it and i have i sympathize and but the performance around that is just like it's so simple because mm-hmm. obviously like you know it's casamati so it's like cinema rote like but it's more than just people are just saying oh it's realism it's realism it's not just realism because mm-hmm. it's art it's not just he's he's not making a documentary he's not trying to even make a documentary style it is art it is specific um yep. and even in impro- improvisation it's specific the performance and what he gets out of people what he's capable of getting out of people is magical and i really do think like it's so sad when you already know when you can predict. And that's the thing. People are always like, I, I hate when I can predict things. And, you know, <laughs> you know, I watch, me and you watch a lot of movies. And so we mm-hmm. can probably predict most plots yeah. before they happen. And you just get to a place where it's beautiful sometimes. You, it's okay if you know that it's going to happen. It's the oh, way yeah. it's done. It's the way it's yeah. done that matters. Yeah. Um, exactly yeah and there, it's, it's fun when there is a surprise and it wasn't where it went you know, with the knowledge that you have, but Mm -hmm. it's still good. It's still, I've seen some of the best stuff that I've predicted because it's how it was done. And I think Ben Gazzara does that with his performance. So when you're leading up to it, you know, he's going to fail again in some way, but he just takes you there with him. And you just, you just have to go on his journey. It's, it's, it, you know, and they give the, there's little drops here and there, you know, after he loses the money, Mm -hmm. we find out he is a vet. He's a vet. He's went to Korea. Yeah. Um, he was very poor uh, growing up. Those are said in the same th- scene, right? Where he was fearful. His mm-hmm. He's been fearful his entire life. He was scared to walk to school. He was scared when he walked to school. He was didn't have money, you know. He was in Korea, you know, fighting people for his life. Imagine having all this stuff that you want to put into the world that you think yeah. is beautiful, but also being scared all the time, like mm-hmm. your entire life. I think anybody can understand that. I definitely agree. And there's just so much beauty in the way this character was written and uh, his performance, because this is a essentially a gangster. It's a neo-noir film. And something you said about, you know, people being upset about being able to predict an ending. It's like, I watch a lot of noir films. They're basically the same copy paste, <laughs> yeah. but some of them do it in a different way that make it so that they stand out to me mm-hmm. and even if they don't i'm like okay that's fine i i chose to watch it i don't need to be shocked and you know have a twist <laughs> it each time because then it's like it's too much because you're trying too hard i love ben Gazzara's face i just love how he always kind of has like a little smirk on his face a lot of the time yeah i just love his face and his performance is so touching and i do feel for him like i said as an artist and just as a man who really does deep down mean well there's i've read some stuff where people are like you sympathize with him, but you also don't know if he's done this before. We don't know if he's murdered outside of the war, you right. know, done this before, but I don't know if it matters so much. He's someone, because we see his love for the club and why he's doing all this and the artistry behind it, you kind of just really feel bad that he really made a bad decision and who he now owes money to. And those scenes with the mobsters and like Timothy Carey and Seymour Castle just really terrifying when they sit him down 
And just the way the silence in those scenes, despite this dialogue, but it's just dead silence in the back. It's terrifying. The lack of score and that sort of thing is fascinating. But also, I think Seymour Cassell, because (laughs) particularly, you know what? why it works? is because I feel like with Bengazara, there is like a warmth there sometimes that Mm -hmm. we see. And with them, they will they smile more than he does, and they yes. are they like they smile more, and they are maybe even seem more cordial on the surface. But you know that there's like this coldness. And yeah. Ben Gazzara, he doesn't have some of the things that they have, like the some he doesn't have some of the refined things. I'm not saying they're really refined. I'm just he's mm-hmm. even not more less less refined, and yet there's like a warmth there and yeah. they are playing it they're like smiling at him or they're saying they're like oh it's okay everything's okay but nothing's okay nothing's okay yeah. and so what they're like trying to keep saying that it is and you know you don't believe them and mm-hmm. so it it makes you feel really uncomfortable yeah uh and they have there's like an authority the way they speak to him and yet they're trying to be like polite <laughs> nobody actually in this movie is very polite at all no. And uh, that I kind of love that too, because sometimes I feel like it's when something's very scripted and it's like, well, this is the way people behave in real life, but that's not maybe the way gangsters behave. And I like that. <laughs> Cassavetes is just like, eh, no one's asking somebody please or thank you. They're like, I want it the way I want it, the way I ask for it. You know, yep. like there's one point where Frank Azaro says, Rach, and he hands her a jacket. He's like, he hands his jacket to her and he's like, Rach, it's hot. It's hot down here. Yeah, I know. And she takes his jacket. He doesn't say, can you hold my jacket for me? I'm very odd. You know, he just says, right. Right. And uh, even uh, Seymour Kozalko is like, ask for a beer. And he doesn't, he doesn't say, play, please. He doesn't say, thank you. He doesn't say, he just asks, he just says it. And I I love that. There's no like trying to be like, oh, and people just know who they are. People know who they are. They see them and they identify them quickly. Like the way you would identify like a cop and know it's a Mm -hmm. cop. You know what I mean? But they, I just think that that's why it works is that there is like this instant warmth with him, even though he's kind of a bad guy. Um, but mm-hmm. them, they are feigning <laughs> a kind of like <laughs> respectability. And it's so cold and comes from, it's like sociopathic. It comes from nowhere. Especially uh, Seymour, because he just has like this softness to his voice. Yeah. Too, mm-hmm. Where there's, it's you would, a kind of voice where you would think you would find comfort usually. But everything he's saying is like going in and you're like, this is awful and scary. Yeah. There's an uneasiness to the way I I do see like the comfort, but then there's something in his eyes and the way he's performing (laughs) it where you're like, I do not trust this man at all. And in the way he's dressed, but it's like, he doesn't often Cassavetes have action sequences in his films. Like there's this one, Mm. there's later on, there's Gloria. So the action sequences that we get are minimal enough, but there's a sense of dread, you know, in the underground car pass, our parking lot. Mm-hmm. Again, no score. And they're ch- two guys, you know, cat and mouse game of chase. And even when he's going through the house of the bookie's house, the potential bookie's house, it's just him going from room to room. And you're like, something is going to happen. It's too silent. And you're just yes. following that dread that builds in this. And it's like, it's kind of horrifying. No. Yeah. There's not even like an, it, it almost seems like there's not even that atmospheric sound mm-hmm. that you get when you're, you know, by yourself or where, or even in other movies where there's like a, there's something like a hum. There's not even that. It's just, it's just like devoid mm-hmm. of all sound yeah. like space. And uh, he's also not afraid of, Casavetes is not afraid of darkness and dark patches and things. So when you walk into a darkened area, there's not just like an artificial light, just so you know what's happening in there. No, you just, there's darkness and then you're clueless for a moment yeah. until they move to another. And I love that because I'm the kind of person where I, I always say like, when people make black and white, for instance, nowadays, I'm always like, well, it's too soft, too soft. I need mm-hmm. more shadows and darkness. And I want to be, like not even know. I have said many times, I don't even want to know what's happening over there. I'm yeah. fine with not knowing what's happening over there until I until I'm able to see those people again. So yeah. there is moments like that in this film. So it get makes it creepier in those moments where they move from one place to another, and you're like, well, I don't even know. I'm not sure. Yeah, you know? I love that. And that kind of brings us to. 
his use of handheld in this and how shaky and the camera work is because you kind of have this chaos that's happening within these people's lives. And sometimes it gets right up in people's business and right up in their faces. And you're like, it's like suffocating, but it's at the times where you need to be, you know, right up in their business, seeing how stressed they are. And we see that with different characters in different instances, but how do you feel about the use of uh, handheld in here? And, how he just follows the characters through wherever, whatever they're doing, whether it's a dance routine or him being chased yeah. from, you know, a bunch of people. Why I love it is because most of the time he's not using it. So then it really crank it like cranks up that tension because mm-hmm. he's also not afraid to just it's static camera, static, yep. static, static. And we're just watching like he's walking down the street, walking towards the camera and the camera's static and he walks right in. He's like, his shoulder like almost like nails the camera before mm. he's cut and you know he's it's constantly like that just like tableau 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 you know little paintings and then all of a sudden you know it's like we're we're feeling the tension of the move, movement of mm-hmm. the camera and so it's economical you know it's not greedy it is what it is it w- needs what it needs to be in the moment I think that's mm-hmm. what cinema verte maybe is. And that's why I get frustrated when people are like, oh, it's about just being real. It's not just about mm-hmm. being real. It's it's about looking at the moment and seeing what it needs in that moment and then doing that thing, but not and not artificially making that choice. Not saying, well, yeah. we're going to move the camera here. We're going to use handheld here where there's no reason for it. Where, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? We're going to do a close-up where there's no reason for it. We're going to close in with the lens as opposed to have that person approach the lens you know, that's what to me, uh, cinema rota is, you know, yeah. and that's why Cassavetes is like a master at it because mm-hmm. he, he's just letting the moment meet the camera, you know, as opposed to forcing it to be something that it's not. Yep. I okay. agree. I see a lot of like, cause I recently just finished off Robbie Mueller month and they mm-hmm. have those similar, very different looks to their films, but si- same sort of mindset of being like, this is what's happening here at this time. This utilize this real thing as opposed to creating something that's not, you know, mm-hmm. real or mm-hmm. forcing new lights into a situation. If it's dark here, it's dark. We might flash a light that needs to be like use an actual flashlight if he needs a flashlight. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. And Cassavetes often operated his own camera. He's right. Making- very rarely had cinematographers on set. He's like, don't worry, I'll do it myself. He also probably had no money to pay someone. So he had nothing because he's paying for it himself. And, uh, you know, he edited out of his own house too, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I love that, which I guess brings us to the different cuts of this film. So we kind of touched upon that before that it was a flop when it was released. It was like 135 minutes. So that's just over two hours. It eventually was cut down to 108, I believe. Yes. And that's the cut that most people saw from there on it until Criterion released it. Uh, A lot of the stuff that was cut, some scenes were rearranged, but a lot of the cuts were like the longer sort of people, I guess, would say it's being like meandering scenes. So something like there's a scene where before he gets to the bookie's house, he stops off at like a restaurant to get 12 burgers and there's a long scene there where he's talking to the girl the woman's like can i wrap these individually he's like no no and he can't tell her why he's like my wife doesn't like the wrap it's actually kind of a great lie yeah right it's a great scene but like that's something that's not in the other one because it's doesn't for him i guess he was like well i had to cut something because people are saying there's too much nonsense in this and a lot of the dance routines were shortened because sometimes they overstay their welcome in an awkward way and i love it but it as i think it purposefully overstaying its welcome where you're like okay this is running long i know we both mentioned we watched the director's cut but i guess we want to talk about what causes people to have to do that and change their vision especially at a time like that and now the fact that everyone is just watching the director's cut now i can't imagine people watching the original other cut i mean sometimes it's you know People watch things differently at different times. And sometimes it's about finding like a champion, you know, mm-hmm. that looks at your film and, and loves it. That's why I love being a programmer. You know, sometimes it, most of the time, well, it's partly, there's a, many different factors. You know, when people come to see a film uh, that I've screened and they say, then they don't know me, they don't trust me yet. They don't know, you know, 
what kind my taste oh, yeah. is and then you okay. know like no that's they don't know and then they see you on mm-hmm. the phone side screen and then all of a sudden you know when they're leaving they're like that was actually good or that was mm-hmm. you know i didn't yeah. know i didn't know and so i love being a programmer because i can champion films that i think are mm-hmm. you know great that maybe people even films that were considered great at its time like i spring breaking away and you know yeah. the summer and people it was great in its time it was talked about all the time it won best screenplay and people it, have forgotten that it yep. exists <laughs> and they're like that was actually good i'm like yeah because i'm like pulling it it's like a time capsule i'm pulling this out this thing sometimes mm-hmm. you need a champion i was watching roger david talk about chinese bookie and he said he saw it of all places a toronto film festival uh, oh. and uh he was really pumped he was really pumped about the movie, you know, mm-hmm. he's just like people should see this. I can't believe it came out a few years be- before and I can't believe it was a flop. It's baffling. To- it was baffling to him that it was a-, a flop. He didn't understand that it was actually put on like by it was like, I think it was like, I want to say the fifth film festival. It was there. It was like a, bre- it was like a group of films that were like overseen, underseen, yeah. or overlooked. That's what yeah. was part of the film festival that year. Which oh, was wow. And it was part of that. That's wild. So, um, because after I saw Roger, after I watched that clip of Roger, I was like, I want to dig deeper. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's a connection to us. So the film has yep. a connection to us. But like, yeah, sometimes it just needs a champion or the time changes, what people are feeling like at that time, to- at the time, mm-hmm. it's something shifts in society. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, this makes sense to me now. This feels right to me now. And it didn't, it didn't click then. I think that's. What I've been noticing with a lot of films I've covered, which are now, it's funny because I'll, I'll talk to certain people and be like, oh, you should come on. They're like, oh, a lot of those films you cover are like very highbrow artsy. And I'm like, I, I guess, but like a lot of these at the time when they were released, they were <laughs> not loved. Something like this, or even by the time this is out, like the blowout episode will be out. And that was a huge flop. And now it's considered one of the greatest films of all time. Sometimes it's like audiences at the time are not ready for something and age, it needs to age with people. Mm-hmm. And you look back on it and you're like, the more and more I watch this film, because I remember the first time I liked it, but it wasn't my favorite. Uh, with each watch, I have a better appreciation for it. Where I'm like, mm-hmm. it's insane that this movie wasn't bigger than what it is. It's, mm-hmm. it's insane. Like, Something like uh, a husband's did better, which I think that's even more abrasive than this movie. And for him to have to cut it down, I feel like I just feel like his mindset must have been very low at the time when having to do that and be like, well, I need people to see this. So let me rearrange my film for four people, which is unfortunate. But now we get people and like us in 2023 <laughs> talking about it. <laughs> I think he like, uh, it's funny. I think he's like a very confident director, you know? Mm-hmm. So like imagine like having, being, having so being so confident in something and knowing that you have a good picture yeah, and kind of like Cosmo knowing yep. you have a vision. And then, you know, we keep talking about that, but Casmetti's you said that there's a comparison too. It's just that he, he's such a confident director. He believe mm-hmm. you can see you can feel that he believes in it through <laughs> watching his work that he believes in that picture. Sometimes you watch a director's movie and you're like, you don't you don't care about this, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And that's never the case with Casavetes. No, I I definitely agree. He's someone who is like, this is the way I envision it, so I'm going to put it out, and you like it or you don't. I'm sure he'd be very happy to know that, like he's. <laughs> you know, one of the most revered, you know, directors. And he's just such a great actor's director. Um, mm-hmm. The dance sequences, we I know we kind of talked about it, but just how sometimes you flash to the crowd and it's very sparse. There's a few people there <laughs> who are kind of just like, have like this look of like enjoyment, but horror on their face where they're like, uh, obviously this is not what I signed up for, but I can't look away type of deal. Mm-hmm. And there's like, sometimes there's magic shows happening and it's like the weird music and just that vibe where you kind of, how did you feel the first time you watched that? And just knowing that you read the synopsis, he's a strip club owner and you're like, uh, this is not what I was expecting. I think that's what made me love it. Mm-hmm. You know, it means kind of what made is the first one I, is I watched. It's kind of the kind of thing that made me want to continue. And like, it's kind of gutsy to be like, okay, this is, you know, a strip club. And now I'm going to give you something that you never thought yeah. was going to be the case, the thing that you're going to see. And I think that was intriguing to me. That made me mm-hmm. want to go deeper. And then the film, it's like you're in those spaces. And then with the actual killing, 
Like it's exciting. It's ramped up. It's an action film. It's, you know, it's dark, it's gritty, you know, and then you're kind of in this, I wouldn't say safe place because it's kind of seedy and weird, (laughs) but it is a little bit like a little bit safer and silly. And so I love that contrast too, Mm -hmm. because there is very much threatening, scary shit outside that door. And then the club is weird, but it's kind of silly and a little goofy, Mm -hmm. right? So the fact that those things are happening at the same time is fascinating. Mm -hmm. You cross the threshold and it's completely different. I mean, that's where he goes back after it's to the Mm -hmm. club, where he goes back to Rachel's house (laughs) and he's like, I got to go back to the club. And Rachel's mom's like, you need medical attention. He's like, (laughs) now I got to go back. And he goes back to the club. And we did Mm -hmm. mention, uh, you did mention a scene prior where I think uh, when he was driving his car, tire blew out or whatnot. And he goes to call a cab, but then he calls He's like, what number is being performed? You know, who's performing it? How do you not know? Type of deal. But he goes back to the club. He's bleeding. And he makes a long speech, kind of basically his final speech at the club in front of everyone, in front of the girls. He makes a speech and then he goes to the crowd and makes a speech. And then it ends with him standing in front of the club and he's bleeding out. We don't see him die. It's Mm -hmm. implied. We don't need to see a long, lengthy death scene at the front of the club, but that's exactly. where he's he i think that's where cosmo was born and died mm. is in his club you know the character of cosmo and who he wants to be so it's just it's beautiful it's sad i love that i love that you said it's beautiful and sad because i think that's what this movie is it's like you know and there's a beautiful I there's a i think i'm right about this it's like a great mirroring too because when he calls when he's in the middle of an act to go and uh, yeah like be a hitman uh he he calls his club to make sure everything's like you know he's still stage managing um yeah. from afar <laughs> on a payphone which uh is hilarious to me but also he sings because he sings that song he says he sings i can't give you anything mm-hmm. but love baby and i think that's what he's singing at the end uh, yeah. in the club is it that is. song yeah. and so i love that connection where the two come together i love mm-hmm. that like he sings it there and that's like okay now we're aware of a number we mm-hmm. haven't seen before but we're aware of that's something that usually happens at the club and he's aware of it and then the fact that casabetti's is like okay now that we're getting, we're showing you that number that he was talking about on the phone yeah it's really satisfying it's a really it really is. feeling and a great way to end it because you're like oh yeah uh, yeah i'm part of this i'm part of this because i learned yeah. about it earlier exactly and you're getting this uh reward a little payoff for paying attention uh which i think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know which i think is like a great little nugget because sometimes it's like you know you're doing a lot of work you know mentally mm-hmm. he's asking he's asking you and then he's like here here's a little reward because you, yeah. you were listening to him on the phone earlier <laughs> and now i'm gonna give you this right uh, which i love yeah it's great I also, yeah. I, I want to say, I, I love that me and you are talking about this because when his speech and his final speech, and he's talking about Rachel, who's black. Yeah. And then he says, you know, she's, she was a black girl. Yeah. Black, you know, and I loved her. She's black and beautiful. And I was like, and I'm like, and we're going to be talking about it tomorrow. Yeah. You know, that's cool. Like when yeah. I was watching it, I was just like, it's kind of cool that we're, watching, you know, talking about this. I wonder how Cassavetes would feel about us in particular mm. identity watching it that i know i mean that's interesting you know the rachel character being the the girlfriend because they're together and he obviously is close with her mom and just having those two black women be separate from the other women in a different ways Mm -hmm. because as, as far as i see rachel seems to be the only black woman at this club and he picked her one more. Yeah. to be the lover yeah. i don't know with how long they've been together and just the speech at the end with the mom who's just like i don't care about all this stuff like now you're putting me in danger and my daughter so you you've got to leave and you know there's no words being said about rachel leaving really but he goes back and he's like yeah rachel's moving on to bigger and bigger things because he doesn't want to involve her further in this but yeah <laughs> mentioning that she was a black woman uh at the end i was like okay yeah it, it's it kind of comes out of nowhere but i you know i like that it's it's not shied away it, i think i think it's not shied away from and we're all thinking it everybody's thinking it yeah all the people are everyone thinking it. <laughs> and so might as well say it right 
So I like that when you're just like, let's not pretend, you know. Yeah, let's, just let's, let's just fucking let's say just, it. <laughs> let's say it right off the bat. Are there any other parts? I, I mean, this is a, a huge movie. This is a lot of yeah, talk about. Is there any other specific parts that you want to chat yeah, about? I think we covered so much. Yeah, you know? I think we did. And in, in the style of Casavetti's, we don't need to. We don't know. Yeah, we don't. Uh, that's a, you know, <laughs> let's get all the points out. We've gushed. <laughs> And I think we're good. So I, I'm ready for the last portion of the show, which is end credits. Mm-hmm. I've got two questions for you. First one being, if someone's never watched the cast of Eddie's film before, they come to you for a recommendation. Which of his films would you recommend they start off with and why? Oh, it's so hard. I would say this movie because that's how I started. And I know that's not putting a lot of thought in it, but I just feel like mm-hmm. it has this excitement. You know, mm-hmm. and the enough surprises that make you intrigued about what he could do, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm going to say this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think this era, the the 70s era of Cassavetes, is basically you could pick any of them because it perfectly shows exactly what he's about mm-hmm. and what he has to offer. So something like this, A Woman Under the Influence, Minnie Moskowitz, you could start with any of those and you know what you're getting into and you can branch off from there. They're the only one I always say I wouldn't recommend to start off with is husbands. As much as I like it, I'm always like, it's a lot for a person. Yeah, I don't know. I even think that, yeah, like even in Women Under the Influence, like I feel like you got to be in the right mood because it's like, yeah, it can take you places. It can take you some (laughs) dark, deep places. (laughs) You know what I mean? The performances are incredible. He's it's probably one of his most lauded films. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it did really well critically, too. But I feel like you might be like, I don't know if I want to go through this again, if this is the way he is. Where this one, I feel like there's like, you know, you you get a fairly unscathed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You don't really need to sit like in a dark room afterwards. You're like, okay, that was that was a good time. Good enough time. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's fair. The second question, last question is the double bill. Uh-huh. As a programmer, I'm sure you know all about double bills. And mm-hmm. I like to, whenever I watch a movie, I, I don't know. It's just a weird thing that I have. I'm always like, oh, I would pair with this one. This would make a Same. great double bill. Me so too. I do it all the time. So what film film or films would you pair this one with and, and why? Okay. So... Maybe I would do something really weird. Let me think. Like the in the middle. Maybe I do like mm. three films and do something like that's like mm-hmm. what? Why that in yeah. right in the center? <laughs> I do like uh, okay. So I would show this movie with Thief, mm, okay. but in the middle I would show like uh, Hustlers or something like that. Mm. <laughs> you nice. know, or yeah. or you know what burlesque or something like that yeah like, right, just right in the middle no probably hustlers probably hustlers um you know because it's like, <laughs> just getting caught in like these trappings yep. you know people with a like an idea of something that they wanted to happen you know and then it not happening the way they thought mm-hmm. it was supposed to happen like certain people trusting people and then having that taken away and then i i think i would finish I think I would f- probably finish with Thief. Probably start start with. Thief. Yeah, I feel like even though it's not the same story, I th- I understand. There's like a you know, there's a point in the movie where he says it's close to the end, where he says your truth is you know your truth, mm-hmm. and it, you know it's is my falsehood and my fault, my truth, and it's your falsehood or whatever. And that really reminds me of Thief. And there's like a lot of like, because it kind of reminds me of like, we say speak your truth, you know, now yeah. a lot. Um, not that that was probably an older phrase, but it's like we're using it in a different way now. And then I always think about Thief. One of the things that stands out to me, Michael Mann's Thief, is that he has like a vision board yeah. and stuff like that. Like a, a man with a vision board. I feel like I love how Michael Mann. It's so has. sweet. I love the, like, the, like the, the machismo of mm-hmm. both films. But then the sensitivity, you know, yep. at the same time, it's just, it's beautiful. So I feel like those two, even just as a double bill together, you know, mm-hmm. would be really great. And they both uh, go into these houses. They're both the poems yeah. where they go into this house. So there's like similar looks. Um, there's also some coloring that's the same, except the Thief is like a more heightened, like candy, no neon mm-hmm. kind of version of it. And then... 
We're going to just throw in Hustlers because it would be fun. A fun, yeah, like, middle. exactly. And, and it also has, like, a Brodowski feel and then also, the, like, a crime element that, you know, where there's unexpected things happen. So I feel like if I was going to do Triple Bill, there, but if it was just the two, that would be the pair. That would be fun. I, I think <laughs> I agree with the order as well because, uh, especially if you're doing a triple, having, you know, Bucky first and then something fun. And then yeah. Thief is... Not that it's not fun or fun. It's just that it also has that music to keep you going. Yeah, and, yeah. It has that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Ta- uh, Tangerine Dream. But also, the reason why I put it in that order, it, there's method to my madness, um, like, <laughs> is because I feel like if you put Thief in the middle or at the beginning, there is like an intensity, especially yeah. at the end, that uh, I feel like you wouldn't be able to let go of and you wouldn't be able to watch the the next two films in in the right way it would just be it would overwhelm it would totally like eat up the next two films you gotta have there's gotta be a balance even if it's a harder end even if it's yeah. like a meaner end which mm-hmm. would be the, the yeah. hardest end that's better than having it having a hard end and then being like oh i still have to watch two movies you might not want to sit through the next two mm-hmm. I, so, I agree yeah and then yeah tangerine dream and that vibe has that more late night exactly that's when you're like i want to end my night with this yeah so yeah i feel that the ones that i paired it with i kind of went around the same route of you so the first one i would do if i did a triple bill would be i start off with flamingo road which is a michael critique 1949 it's joan crawford she's getting out of jail and she's out for revenge she starts working at this club there's a bit of gambling this corruption of you know the police chief in the city so it's a noir in that sense and just having that start off with joan crawford who in my opinion can handle anything that's thrown at her she's my queen but having a woman at the start and her story and that corruption and the gambling so i would start off with that then i think i would go with bookie and mm-hmm. then at the end, I wanted something more fun, but that's, it's not a f- comedy. It's serious enough movie, but it's a little goofy because it's the 80s. And I thought of 8 Million Ways to Die, the Hell Ashby movie. Nice. Oh, <laughs> so I Just like having that. that. I don't know why immediately as I was watching this, I was like, I kind of want to rewatch 8 Million Ways to Die. Yeah. Uh, and just having that kind of 80s, like pumping up sort of like Thief, except Thief is a lot more serious than yeah. <laughs> this one is. Yeah. yeah, it's a more of a hard landing. For sure. Yeah. 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 So it just has something kind of less heavy at the end to end off the night. But I like those. I like both those. That'd be like a nice, awesome series or a whole weekend of films, like six films. That's pretty nice. I think, I mean, those, I would, I would go to all those. I feel like (laughs) those are great movies to watch together. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that was the killing of a Chinese bookie. Thank you so much, Vanya, for coming in with your knowledge about the film and chatting with me about such a big one. So, you know, this is a big one. Pleasure. So I think we did it justice, but thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It was such a great time. I, I, I want to come back. It's so Oh, so, well, yeah, so there smart. you go. It's on record now, so <laughs> you'll have to come back. <laughs> Seeing Faces in Movies is an official podcast of the Royal Film Club. It's hosted and edited by Felicia Maroney with intro music by Lamar Walker. If you like what you heard, let us know at seeingfacesinmovies.com or send us an email at seeingfacesinmovies at gmail.com. And while you're at it, please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcast. And stay tuned for our next episode on Opening Night. <laughs>